This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Thank you for joining me on part two of the top 100 of the Broken Meeple. It's been a bit of a frantic day, I gotta say. I've been selling half of this flat, literally getting rid of it piece by piece. My study already looks very bare without a little sofa and everything else in it. And I've just been out for a good meal and some wine with some friends. So it's all pretty good, just letting things tick over really but for now I've got 20 more games to talk about yes I told you that my format was going to be 20 20 15 15 10 10 10 that is the way this top 100 is going to go so today I am going through my number 80 through to 61 there's 20 more classic games here the creme de la creme is yet to come but these are all still solid games and just to reiterate you know, I've added another 25 to 33 new games on here. So yes, I'm going to be saying a lot that this has come down in a place. You know, not very often has anything gone up until you get to the upper levels. But what do you expect when I turn a top 75 into a top 100? Do the math, you know. So let's get on with it. 80 to 61. Number 80 would have dropped off this list entirely had it not been a top 100. It only dropped 6 places from last year, it was 74, now it is 80, remaining consistent and that is San Juan. San Juan is like the baby brother to Puerto Rico, but it is my preferred version of the two. I like both games, I think both are really good classics, but San Juan pips the other for me because I just think it's condensed into a smaller time scale and it's simpler to teach. You still have that essence of generating resources with the you know the coffee and the sugar and those different things, you know, the producing resources and building a city versus lots of different buildings with special abilities, but you've got that cool role selection mechanic where you choose a role and you get the privilege action and the rest of the players get a slightly lesser action. Works really well. It works well in things like Twilight Imperium 3 and Race for the Galaxy. But Puerto Rico, I think, started it off, to my knowledge. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. I'd be interested to know. But San Juan is the one that does it for me. Nice and simple. The second edition is a great version of it because you get the expansion with new buildings. I just really like it. It's nice and simple. And it it caters to one of my biggest likes in games, which is multi-purpose cards. I really like having cards with multiple uses where you've got to choose what you want to do. Do you want it to be the currency, the special ability, or the building? I just, I love that. And you're going to see that a couple more times on this list. But for now, San Juan, 80. 
Number 79 dropped 11 places, and that is the sci-fi version of Seven Wonders being Among the Stars by Atipia Games. Now, Among the Stars drops a little bit because I still enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. The hardest thing I have with this game, though, is teaching it. Because with Seven Wonders, the abilities are quite simplistic once you get through the iconography. But here, in Among the Stars, is kind of like the the upper level vert, like the advanced Seven Wonders. There's more to take in. But once you have got the hang of it, it's a really cool game. Building your space station with the ambassadors that give you special abilities. But also just having to have a spatial awareness about where you put things. It's not just, oh, I play this card. No, it's I play this card and it's next to the reactor, which is also next to the cafeteria. Ooh, but I really want all those gun placements together. You know, you've got a little bit extra to think about. And I really enjoy this game. It doesn't get played as often as I would like, but it's still a really cool game if you want Seven Wonders, but with a bit more meat to it. I like what Artipio Games puts out usually. Um, not every single game they put out is a hit, but this universe with the Among the Stars and New Dawn was quite good as well. You know, not as good as Among the Stars, but it was quite cool. And, the, you know, Artipio Games are putting out some interesting games, and there's one in particular that you will see on this list a bit later on. So wait and see. But for now, 79 Among the Stars. Number 78. Ooh, I remember touting the praises of this back in 2013 in my first year on the blog. I still really enjoy this game. It hasn't been played for a while, but I still have it in the collection and I still really enjoy it. But I put this as the best game of 2013 and I still stand by that. I think it's a really interesting little Euro game that is very underrated. Granted, it wasn't marketed very well. Like I think Yastari Games put out originally or was it someone else? I can't remember. But you know, this one is Spirium. And Spirium is this cool little Euro game where you have a grid of nine cards that either are characters that give you special powers or buildings that you can build or various other or contracts that you can take for end game scoring. And the idea is, is that you put your meeples, like worker placement style, in between the cards, not on them. So there's your little difference here. And the idea is, is that somebody can take their meeple off to either claim the card, whether it's a building or a character ability, or to gain money and the cost and the amount of money you gain is based on how many meeples of everybody's color surrounds that card so it's a perfect way of simulating supply and demand in what is a fairly small box euro game it was really underrated in my opinion i think you really should give this one a try if you're into euro games it's really cool it really needed an expansion i think to keep it in the public eye i think it's pretty much disappeared now but it's still in my collection and it's actually the box if you want a bit of a trivia knowledge that is responsible for my name the broken meeple i literally could not think of a decent name because to be fair everybody in america has already taken all the decent names and I just came across a meeple that had its leg chipped off. And someone said, you know, you got a broken meeple in this box. And I just basically went with it. You know, it was a pretty, oh, okay, it's a pretty generic way of saying I've got a new name for my blog. But I just went with it. It just felt fitting to me. So, 78, Spirium, underrated. Number 77. Oh, this brings back memories. So many memories. I played games when I was a kid 
with the parents. And then I did RPGs, I did 40k, I even did Magic the Gathering. But when it comes to board games, board and card games, the first modern one I remember playing was Citadels. And this is my number 77. Dropping 41 places, it has not seen a lot of play, mainly because of another game we'll get to later. But I'm really excited about the new reprint that's coming out later this year. Asmodee North America publicised it recently. Citadels is getting a reprint with new really gorgeous artwork, new characters, new everything. Cannot wait. I know Eric Summerer loves to do the whole Citadels every time he hears about this game. But I really like Citadels. Not just a nostalgia thing, I really do enjoy this game. It's got that little bit of bluffing, little bit of role selection, and it's nice and simple to teach. Granted, never play this with more than five players. That is an order. But other than that, Citadels is a really cool game, and even though it's dropped a bit, still likely to remain in the top 100 for some considerable time, especially if the reprint is as good as I hope it is. It might even climb a few places next year, who knows. But 77, Citadels. Number 76 is the first new debut we have on this 20 list, and that is a Stonemaier game, classic called... Well, I say the word classic, I don't mean old game, I just say classic when I mean a good game. But this is Euphoria. Euphoria is a really weird setting. It's like this dystopian society, and you're using dice in order to do your actions, and you've got various weird resources. It's, it's a very strange game, but... I really do enjoy it. It's it's unique. It doesn't feel like most other worker placement games, especially with dice. It's just it's really hard to describe. But being a Stonemaier game, it looks gorgeous. The dice are great quality. Everything in it, the artwork is really nice. And the only way I can really describe it is just to say, give it a try. You'll be surprised about how interesting this Euphoria is. It's it's just I don't know really it's I know this sounds a bit bad but Euphoria is just a really nice unique worker placement dice game that ticks a lot of the boxes it just seems to work much like pretty much everything that Stonemaier Games puts out you know I mean probably if I was to do a top 200 I think you would probably see between two cities somewhere on this list but pretty much everything that Stonemaier Games puts out is a great game and this one included. I recommend you give it a try, but I know I can't describe it very well, but believe me, when you play this game, you'll know what I mean. It's just one of those things you have to try. Number 76, Euphoria. Number 75, a new debut to the list, and that's mainly because I didn't really get to play it very much until in the last year. And this is a Euro game that is regarded as a, I was about to say classic again, as a one of the greats by many players. They love it, not just because of the weird gears that you have to turn and the fact that you can paint it to look like absolute gorgeousness, but because this is straight up a good, fun Euro game. Very thematic, and, well, say, yeah, pretty thematic, actually. It does a good job of keeping the theme. And with the expansion, it gets even better, and that is Zolkin, the Mayan calendar, to be exact. And this one, besides having a really beautiful-looking board with those gears that you turn around, is a really good thinky Euro game, because 
You place your workers on the gears and then as each turn happens, the gears turn, allowing your meeples that remain on the gears to get better abilities as they go along. But then you have to choose, am I going to place the workers on or am I going to take them off? It's a bit like how Manhattan Project works. But when you do it, it's all about the timing. You've got to plan ahead and think, right, I need that ability. The meeple's going to get there in two turns. I'm going to trigger it off then. For now, let's get this guy on here because I need some more corn to feed my meeples. Yes, you've got to feed your workers, but it's not quite as bad as Agricola. And I don't know, it's just really cool. Kudos to Czech Game Editions for having this one and publishing it. I, I didn't give it enough buzz a couple of years ago when I tried it for the first time. I thought, yeah, this is okay, but is that strategy broken? I'm not sure. Let's see. And now I've tried it a bit more often and once with the new expansion. Um, I think it's called Tribes and Prophecies where you get more player abilities. That really amps it up quite significantly. So I recommend giving this one a try if you can and you're a Euro game lover, especially if you like ones that have a bit more of an interesting theme and setting. That's 75 Zolkin. Number 74, down 16 places, so relatively consistent. And this one, I'm seeing a lot of people slate this one off lately, and I don't know why. I still enjoy this game. I've got, I think, every single expansion that's come out for it. And to be fair, there's been a lot of expansions. I mean, you could buy the base game and still get a good deal. But I've bought pretty much every expansion that's gone through this. Well, I say buy. Some have been bought, some have been review copies. But I've got everything today, including the big geeky box that holds this thing. Yes, I'm talking about Smash Up, where you take two 20-card decks from any of God knows how many factions there are now, and you smash them together, quite literally, and make a 40-card deck, and you take over bases while, you know, bashing against your opponents in various ways. And it just works really well for me. I don't know, it's... I mean, granted, you don't want to play this with four players. I'll give you that. Four players with this game is bad. You really don't want to do it. It just takes too long. Frankly, that's the idea. But with three or less players, particularly two, this one just works really nicely. I mean, I can have my bear cavalry ghosts, or my robot zombies, or my killer plant time travelers you know it's there's so many combinations now and they're still bringing out expansions my geeky box is still only half full that's how insane this game is for in terms of longevity and i was really actually quite chuffed that when they did the it's your fault expansion where they chose four factions based on the fans my superheroes got through yes i knew superheroes had to be in this game i'm glad i i came up with a suggestion i put it through and it became one of the ones in the box so i'm very happy about that now i can do superhero zombies or superhero ninjas or superhero gorillas yeah superhero cyborg apes that's a weird one i have to try that next time there's so many combinations i want to try but people don't give this enough buzz i think if you just play it with not four players and granted if you just get those things off board game geek where you can easily track the power of the base i admit it gets a little bit fiddly and maffy if you don't have those but you know a little bit of tweaking and this is a great game and worthy of my 74 smash up Number 73 is a Reiner Knizia game. Oh my god, what's Reiner Knizia? Luke? 
of all people, a Rhino Knizia game? No, it can't be. You're punking us, or whatever. I don't know. Is it punking? I'm not sure. But Tigris and Euphrates is my 73. And I admit, this is a pretty much abstract game. People like to try and justify how there's a ton of theme in this game, but look, there's a smidgen of theme in there, but let's be honest here. You are placing coloured tiles that do different things on a board, and the way that those coloured tiles associate is how the game works. It's not that thematic, but it's a really cool abstract game for up to four players. I really enjoy this one. It really does have you thinking quite strategically, and the way that when your kingdoms that you're building up with tiles, as soon as they connect, you have these wars and you have these revolts. And the game plays very differently with different player counts. With four players, you've got a lot of conflict. But with two players, you can set up a bit longer and then have like really epic battles, you know, every now and again. And I like the way that this has Reiner Knizia's, shall we say, Reiner Knizia's shtick when it comes to scoring, which is that you only score the worst of the category that you've got. Um, I think Samurai does something similar to this as well. But Tigers and Euphrates is my favourite of the lot. And I just like it. Yeah, you, you can't munchkin a particular category. You can't munchkin the red tiles, for example, like red points. Because if you've got only two in greens, and yet you've got ten in the others, you still only score two points. I like that system. I mean, you know, I've talked a bit about how I like to be able to do my own thing, not have to balance things out, but... I think with an abstract game, I just think that scoring mechanism works. And Tigris and Euphrates, particularly the Fantasy Flight version that I have, I think is a really solid game. Really like to play it again sometime. 73, Tigris and Euphrates. Number 72, I had a Twitter follower ask me whether this was going to be on the list. He claimed that I wouldn't have anything that he liked on this list. And to be fair, we do differ on a lot of tastes. But I was saving this one because I know you asked about it. You hashtagged it. It is Biblios. Biblios is a game that you wouldn't expect to see on my top 1,000, let alone my top 100. I don't think I've actually played 1,000 games, but I digress. Biblios is... I don't know. I don't normally like auction games. I have talked many a time how I think Power Grid is one of my most hated games ever. I cannot stand that game. Spoiler alert, it's not on the list. Oh, big surprise. But Biblios is the kind of auction I like. Quick and frequent. I don't like auctions that drag themselves on and on and on as everybody gets analysis paralysis trying to calculate every last dime for this thing. It's uh, ugh. Can't stand those auctions. But Biblios is nice and quick and frequent because it's almost like a game of two halves. In the first half, you are drawing cards from a deck and selecting which ones you want, which ones you'll auction later, and which ones you're willing to give to your opponents. And then in the second half of the game, it's a bit like for sale in that respect, you then auction that pile off and you know sort of what's in there. I mean, you've put some of them there yourself, but other players have obviously done this too. But the bids are quick. It's like, okay, what will we have for a red two? Uh, two, three, four. There's yours. You know, literally five seconds and you've done the auction. 
you know, no auction goes beyond 30 seconds in this game. And, and even then, 30 seconds is pretty slow. The auctions are just fast, fast, go, go, bid, bid, you know, nice and quick. And that's the way I like it. This one is an underrated filler, and the only reason I even got into it in the first place is because I kind of trusted Z Garcia's opinion. I know that sounds like sucking up to the dice tower, I'm in the network after all, but no, Z Garcia seems to just come up with these random little card games that I've never heard of before that I go, oh, well, I'll give it a try. Oh, look, you know, it's a, it's a nice little game. And Biblios is probably one of the best ones that he suggested. Biblios, an underrated auction filler, very good, very easy to teach, and my 72. Number 71, down 14 places on this one. Uh, Biblios was 31, and Tigris and Euphrates was 26, I forgot to mention. But this one is Imperial Settlers. Imperial Settlers is a cool little game, well, little, it's a cool big card game by Portal Ignacy Trevacek, and it's basically the civilization version of 51st State. Where you build up a civilization, well, you build up a tableau of cards. Some produce resources, some do various actions, some give you special powers, and you use these buildings to basically generate like an engine for generating points in the late game. Now, 51st State was based on a post apocalyptic world. This one is based on a civilization theme where each player takes on a particular faction, like the Romans, the Egyptians, the barbarians, that kind of thing. And this is my preferred of the two. I think the buildings are easier to follow. I think the uh, interaction with the players is handled better here. And I think just the sort of cutesy civilization artwork appeals to me a little bit more. And I like being my own faction with my own special powers. Now, in 51st State, you had different factions. But literally, the only difference between all four of them was one resource that you generated. That was pretty much it. Here, not only do you have that, but you also have just a different set. You have a different deck full of buildings that are unique to your own faction, as well as the common deck of buildings that you build normally. And now we've got, what have we got? Romans, barbarians, Egyptians, Japanese. Romans, barbarians, Egyptians, Japanese. Uh, the Atlanteans from the expansion. And we're soon going to get the Aztecs. This is going to get better as time goes on, and it's still one of my favourites. Again, similar to the um, the smash-up problem, don't play this with the max number of players. Really, keep to two, maximum three, preferably people who know what they're doing, and this is a great game. 71 Imperial Settlers. Number 70 could be regarded, possibly, as my Space 4X game of choice. Now, I say 4X, technically this one could be described as 3X, but when people talk about Twilight Imperium 3 and Zyre Legends of Adrift and sometimes Exodus Proxima Centauri, people forget about this game from Ryan Lockett. Now, when they say Lion Lockett, they tend to think, oh, Above and Below or City of Iron, that kind of thing. No, no, no. Cast your mind back to one of his first games called Empires of the Void. Empires of the Void is a space free X game that does lose one of the uh, explore things on it because you kind of have the whole map ready when you start off. But the cool thing with this is that it brings about that feeling of meeting new races and having your own tech because everybody starts off pretty much the same in terms of ship design but you have a slightly different tech tree, a slightly different starting power. 
But when you move to these different planets, you have a choice on whether you want to be diplomatic with them or you want to conquer them. If you conquer them, you get the resources it produces. So it might be a particular resource, it might be just money, that kind of thing. But if you diplomatize with the planet, you get a special ability from that planet and it might be just a power that you get for the rest of the game. But for a lot of them, it's also a unique ship that only you can build as long as you're friends with them. And I just find that really cool. You know, I like having your own differentiation from other players and I just... The theme of this game is really strong and I like how you can sort of go, right, I've got these ships to begin with, we've all got these designs, but I'm friends with these, uh, I don't know, the flibble, flobble, blibble, blibbles, or whatever, I don't know, think of an alien name over there, and they can give me this cool little jet ship that allows me to fly at twice the speed of everybody else, or this other race can give me a ship that's got giant cannons on it that can rip everyone else apart. It just really fits a space theme and I'm surprised that no other game has done this Twilight Imperium 3 Exodus whatever none of them have done this it seems that Empires of the Void is kind of a unique one amongst the genre and that's why I like it this much now granted I will stick a caveat with this this is one of Ryan Luckett's first games and the rulebook and the components in the first edition of it were not perfect let's put it that way However, one of the games I put on my top uh, expansions list was the Key to the Universe. It's a print and play expansion you can get for this game. And it sorts out pretty much every problem that the base set had. So granted, you do have to get that expansion. But once you do, it works. And I've heard rumors that there might be a second edition of this coming out. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is, I'm going to keep an eye on it. Because I will happily replace my copy with a decent second edition of this game underrated worth a try if you like the space genre empires of the void my number 70 into the 60s now with number 69 and this one dropped a 32 places since the last time it's been a while since i've got it to the table and talk about a game that really messed up its marketing Seriously, when people saw the cover for this game, they thought this was going to be a thematic forex extravaganza, and so did I. Until I did a bit of research and realised that it was essentially a Euro cube pushing game. And this annoyed a lot of players. But, look past that and you'll realise that Hyperborea is actually a really cool Euro game. Now, yes, okay, it's not the forex extravaganza that you had, but you've got the map tiles. They are different every game. You can choose one of the many factions that have their own unique starting power and, you know, setup. And the cool thing with this is that it's a bag, like a cube bag building game. You draw cubes out of a bag, three at a time, that dictate sort of what actions you have available and as the game progresses you'll acquire more cubes you'll put them into your bag and then that will allow you to do actions more often you've got red cubes for aggression and combat you've got green for movement you've got blue for tech upgrades that you can buy and it's just really cool how it all gels together whilst giving you a kind of pseudo forex experience I really enjoy this one. It's underrated and granted I admit they really could have marketed this a bit better. You know people expected one thing and got something else so I can understand how many people got disappointed but look past that and give this one a try. If you don't like it fair enough it's not for everyone but 
I actually latched onto this one quite well. I do like the bag building thing, and I know that Orleans is another pretty good game as well. I personally prefer this one for reasons, but part of it is the theme, but I think it's also just, I don't know, this one just gels better with me. 69, Hyperborea. Next up, now this game, you're going to think that I've really started to dislike this game, but that is not true. I still think this is a brilliant game. After all, it's in my top 100, but this has dropped 54 places. This used to be my number 14 game, and now it's at 68. I still really like it, but I do struggle to teach it to a few players, especially when I constantly have to use the starter set of gods that are in the game, rather than using some of the other ones that the box provides for more advanced players. But I still really like the thinkiness that Elysium provides. I got to play this with the designer at one of the UK Games Expo events, and it was great fun. I latched onto it and bought it that same convention. I really enjoyed it that much. This cool little mechanic where you are building a tableau of cards in front of you to use their special abilities to begin with, but then eventually you want to score them into your legends, so to speak, and you put them in different orders, you know, like lots of ones, lots of twos, or one, two, three, and that kind of thing. You know, it's fairly abstract in that sense. You know, the theme is only there in so much. But what really gets me excited for this one is that pillar mechanic with choosing your cards. You have a red, yellow, green and blue pillar and you have to choose three cards and one quest before the turn ends. And the quest is basically like what you get at the end of the turn. It's like an end turn bonus but it also dictates turn order. And the idea is, is that when you choose a card, it has a requirement on it which says what colours you need available. So one might have yellow and blue. I would take this card, put it in front of me, and then I decide I'm going to get rid of the green pillar for this bit. You have to always get rid of a pillar. And that means that in future parts of this turn, you're restricted on what cards you can get because I've just removed my green pillar, which means I can't take any card or quest that requires me to take a green pillar. And so on. The next one, I take this card that requires a yellow. And you know what? I'll get rid of the yellow pillar. Now I'm left with only a blue and red. Your choices get more restricted as the phase goes on and you've got to plan ahead. But, oh God, this can generate a bit of analysis paralysis at times. But I love the thinkiness that this one provides. This is a great, unique game. Still, even though it's 54 places down, still in my top 100. So that's got to be saying something. Elysium. Number 67, move over Mighty Koro. I never liked you anyway. This is a new debut to the list and this is what Mighty Koro wishes it could be. No, I'm not talking about Valeria Kingdoms. I'm talking about Dice City, again by Artipia Games. Dice City is similar to Mighty Koro in the sense that you are rolling dice and activating buildings. But here you have a board with six rows. I think it's six or is it five? Five or six rows of buildings that are pre-printed on the board and then with the the resources you generate you buy more building cards that you can overlap 
anything on your board. You can build your city however you like. Do you want to be combat heavy? you want to be resource heavy? Or do you want to cover up a particular row in nothing but combat abilities? It's entirely up to you. But what differentiates this from Mighty Koro is that I don't like Mighty Koro because it is pretty much entirely luck. You buy a building and you just hope you roll it. It doesn't even have the cool trading aspect of Catan. It's literally just roll and see what happens. It might as well be Monopoly. Now, in Dice City, you have ways to mitigate the dice roll because you can take dice off the board to shift dice left or right on the rows to activate the building that you really want to activate. And just that little bit of extra mitigation makes a big difference in this game. And the ability to attack other players to nick their resources or deactivate their buildings and the multiple paths to victory, you know, do I go for the trade ships, do I go for the bandits, or do I just, do I just fill my entire board with cool buildings? It's There are many ways to play this, and the expansion, however not the best value for money, still added a nice little extra with the gold resource and some extra buildings. Dice City is definitely the one I would teach to players way in advance of Mighty Koro. My number 67, I enjoy this again, probably not with the maximum number of players, two or three, Decent sweet spot, Dice City number 67. Number 66, I just reviewed this one recently. Literally, I think this was the last review I did. Well, we'll see what happens when I publicise this review. But as of now, the 2nd of August 16, this is the last review I did. Can you guess? It's a two-player game. It's Targi. Targi by Z-Man Games. This one is one that, oh, I seek this one out for ages. I played it once by having a girl, um, my friend Fiona from the Game Shelf plug, show me this game. And this was after Z Garcia ragged on about this game so much. He kept saying this is a great two-player game and it's really cool. And I just could not find it anywhere. It was out of print. Then Fiona showed me the game and I thought, Yes, this is good. This is very, very good. Let's try it again. Unfortunately, it meant that I still had to wait for the recent reprint of the game, which was only earlier this year, before I could get my own copy. And I've played it since, and I'm still in agreement. Targi is one of the best two-player games out there in existence. Is it the best two-player game out there? Well, you'll have to wait and see if that's true or not. But Targi is really good. It's a worker placement game for two players, and even though the theme is fairly tacked on, it really gets you thinking about how do I screw over my opponent whilst also getting my own needs underway. And it's worker placement, so you put the workers on a, a row of a tableau of cards, and it's got that similar ability from Quadropolis where you can't put your worker so that it faces your opponent. That's kind of a weird thing. Quadropolis is slightly different, but in in essence, if your work if your opponent's worker is on the opposite side of this tableau of cards, you can't place your worker if it faces them. So you can get really restricted really quickly, and it forces you to prioritize your immediate needs and then have a backup plan. It's a longer two-player game, most about like an hour plus if you're unless you know really what you're doing and can go fast. But seriously. Give this one a try if you see it. This is definitely the gamer's two-player game of choice, I think, out of many out there. Targi, my number 66. 
Number 65 was also down 35 places from last year. It's gone down a little bit, mainly just because there's a lot of good games that have come out since. And this one is one of Uri Rosenberg's finest, and that is La Havre. Le Havre. Uh, Le Havre. I don't know how exactly how to pronounce it. All I know is that I visited the location on my first cruise and, well, there was only so much there. But I enjoyed the cruise and it was nice to walk around Le Havre. Now, Le Havre is a primarily a resource management game where you take resources like meat and fish and grain, that kind of thing, and you these buildings keep appearing throughout the course of the game, whether built by other players or built by the city itself, and you use them to generate these resources into more produced goods. So you might take a meat, take it to the butchers, and turn it into cattle. Sorry, take the cattle and turn it into meat, and so forth with other cards. Now, the buildings are incredibly varied. It differs when they come out. If a player builds them, you have to give the player a little something for using it. It's a great little game. Little, it's actually quite a big, heavy game. But play this with three or less players, I recommend. Again, it takes a while with four or more. I mean, anybody who plays with five is just out of their minds. But this is a really cool resource management game. It gets you thinking, it's quite thematic, and it allows you to do what you want to do. And you don't feel like you've had to take a bad action. It's like, oh, you took all the wood there? Well, I'll take the six bread. You know, you always feel like you've got something on your turn, and it wasn't just a complete waste. Yes, you have to feed your people, but it's not quite as debilitating as Agricola, and you just... I don't know, it just allows you to get immersed in it more. You know, I can say, you know what, this game I have bought the slaughterhouse and I am going to be the butcher of cattle for the whole game. I am the butcher of Lahav and you will all visit my slaughterhouse in order to trade your meat. You know, it just, it's just something I like about having that kind of unique ability or faction or job title, whatever. You know, it's something I get a kick out of. So, Lahav, my number 65. Number 64. Well, I've just noticed this is one hell of a Euro-heavy list. Seriously, these last tw- these, this row of 20 is really Euro-heavy. So all you guys out there who say I don't like Euro games, get off my back, alright? You know, these are a lot of Euro games here, okay? Heavy, light, you know, and 4X, there's a lot of Euros here. Although we're going to change it up now, this is a straight-up party game. One of the most popular party games in existence, one that goes over well with families and gamers and new players of old... Dixit. In particular, Dixit Odyssey, my one, because it allows more players and it doesn't have that stupid scoring board where you turn a box over and you keep nudging it every now and again and all the rabbits fall over. It's got a nice little board, it's a lot easier to use. But Dixit in general is just a really cool party game where you look at a hand of cards with really nice looking, gorgeous, surreal artwork on them, kind of like reading a Tim Burton storybook, and you give a clue about a card, place it down, everybody else chooses a card from their hand, places it down, you lay them all out in secret, and then everybody tries to guess which one the original clue giver was referring to with this clue. That could be anything from words to a word to a poem to a song to a sonnet, I don't know, whatever you want to do. I've seen some very extravagant clues given out for some of these, but I do hate it when people just do one-word clues. Personally, what I love to do in this game, I like to, especially if I'm playing with people I know, is I like to say, this card reminds me of X. 
you know, X being one of the people on the table. And if I don't know that many people, I say that this card reminds me of myself. And then just see what happens. It's really funny when you get cards come out when you describe yourself or another player and that person looks at all the cards and go, uh, okay, I want I want answers. All right, you, you, you tell me, what is going on here, okay? Why am I related to a bunny rabbit wearing a space suit in space? Seriously? What, what, what? What's that got to do with me? And it just generates a lot of good laughs. But it's just so simple to teach people. This was one of the first games I managed to teach my parents. And my parents are definitely not gamers. Trust me on this. It's been hard enough trying to get them to learn things like Ticket to Ride. But Dixit, they all latched onto. And now I play this very regularly with my family when I go back to Somerset. It's only dropped 10 places from the last time it was on the list. So it was 54 last year. You know, it's not my favourite game ever, but I still really enjoy it. Dixit. Okay, three more to go, and we're back on the Euro games again. What is going on with this section of 20? Uh, I don't know. What's that mean for the rest? Is it going to be all Amerifresh? Well, we'll find out later. But 63 is a gateway level worker placement game, which granted has a theme that's rather tacked on, but it's the D&D theme and it's still enjoyable, and that is Lords of Waterdeep. Now, a slight caveat. I enjoy Lords of Waterdeep as a base game. But what really propelled it onto this list and probably kept it on the list in general, even though it's only dropped 12 places from last year, was the expansion, the uh, Scoundrels of Skullport. That one really elevated this game because the base game is still fun. But the expansion adds more locations you can go to. But the best thing about it is that it adds the corruption mechanic where you have these skull tokens that are a requirement for certain quests and spaces. And when you take those spaces and quests, you'll get more rewards. But you also get corruption tokens, which are negative points. And the more corruption that is taken during the course of the game by everybody, the more negative points they're worth. So you're trying to get rid of your corruption after you've attained it. And it just adds that extra really cool element. But even without that, the base game is still solid. It is totally a gateway level game. It is so easy to teach this one. This is definitely one of the you know, the go-to titles for worker placement that I would teach a new gamer. I think Lords of Waterdeep, possibly Targi as well. Can I think of another one off the top of my head? Worker placement, that's gateway... Uh, not off the top of my head, but certainly Targi and Lords of Waterdeep are definitely two that I would say for worker placement, new players, worth using. But expansion or no expansion, I still really enjoy this game. It's yes, it's light on the D D theme, but I've got the meeples that help with it, you know, the, the wooden meeples that are shaped like wizards and that. They look a bit nicer, it's just better than having cubes everywhere. But like I said, very enjoyable and quite varied. So Lords of Water Deep number sixty three. Two more games, and would you class this one as a Euro? I don't know. It's technically a racing game. It's its own genre, and this is a new debut to the list. I only reviewed this back in March, I believe. I think March was when I reviewed this, and this is Automobiles by AEG. AEG have done this whole autom- you know, planes, trains, and automobiles thing. You know, like the movie. Now, planes is 
meh, it's not particularly great. Trains is okay, I think Dominion is better, you know, Trains basically just copied it and added a really weird map to it. But Automobiles is definitely my preferred pick of the three. Automobiles is a racing game where you race around a Daytona type track, so it's a bit like NASCAR in that sense. But the way it works is that it's another cube bag building game where the cards that you get the cubes from represent the different gears and also special things like nitrous and suspension and crew, pit crew, that kind of thing. It's very much like a racetrack. And the cool thing is, is that the way you build your bag up will determine your ability to you know move in certain ways during the game you've got to manage waste well is it waste yeah i think it's waste and um, basically you know dead drawers you know dead cubes for your bag but it's really cool because not only have you got this bag building element you've also got the racetrack itself because you place your cubes on the track to illustrate how you're moving your car along to overtake others and if you you know depending on how close to the outside lane you go the more waste you generate is it waste i can't think if it's waste or not oh wear sorry yeah wear and tear you know the wear and tear on your vehicle not waste and if you very thematic if you park up behind someone else's car you're effectively using their slipstream which means you don't gain any wear cubes so you've got a choice between how long do I stay behind this guy before eventually I've got to overtake and go for the lead it's really cool little game it's just Works very nicely, even with multiple players. Again, don't play this with anybody who's got analysis paralysis. It will do your head in. But I just... I really did not expect I would like this game as much as I did. But I think this is a great game. Lots of variation with the cards. You've got different color categories and there's several cards in each. And you can Frankenstein it like crazy. Or you can take one of the specialist sets that the rule book says. Like, do you want one with lots of wear? Do you want one with lots of speed? Do you want one with lots of options? That kind of thing. I think an expansion with different tracks would be good for this. It's a double-sided board. You know, a basic track and a slightly more interesting track. But I think... I hear, I hear actually on the grapevine that an expansion is coming out for automobiles eventually. This is just something I heard. Don't quote me on this. I think the designer hinted at it. But basically, just wait and see. But for now, automobiles is a very good racing game. Definitely one that's worth checking out if you want something that combines Euro mechanics with racing. Not something you would expect to see very often. Number 62, Automobiles. And finally, before I take a break and go to bed, seriously, I'm getting tired here, 61. This one was 22 places higher before, and this is another party game. A party game that is still very popular with people I share it to, whether new gamers or old gamers. It's one of those types of games that you can literally just play in 5 to 10 minutes, and then you play again and again and again and again. And it's really good to watch this one live as well when you don't know who's who. But this is Spyfall. Now, I will say, fair enough, some people really hate this game. And it is very group dependent. I will give it that. That's probably why it's not very much higher on the list. And why it's dropped down a bit. Because you could play this with the wrong group and it will spoil it. It will fall flat. But you play this with the right group that are willing to role play it. That are willing to just get into the questions that are asked. And get into the theme. Well, theme. You know, just get immersed in what's going on. It's a great fun little 
bluffing game that I love to play where half where most of you are trying to figure out who the spy is and the spy is trying to figure out what location he's at out of all these different ones and it's just really funny at times I mean people will give really abstract clues and some people will just lie through their buck teeth to try and catch someone out and the spy I love being the spy in this people get really stressed being the spy I love trying to hide the fact that I don't know where I am but phrase my questions in a certain way I get a kick out of this one it's not one that I want to play like every single night but sometimes it's like oh we haven't played spy for in a while can we bring that out for a few tries still really enjoy it but again it's group dependent I will give it that you know the wrong group can spoil this one And to be fair, you can say that about most games, but I think with certain party games like this one, particularly bluffing games, it's usually a bit stronger in that regard. But to round off this episode, number 61, Spyfall. Catch my breath a little bit there. I've talked again for another 20 great games I really enjoy. The next episode, part 3, will focus on my numbers 60 to 46. Yes, I will only be talking through 15 games for the next two episodes and then 10 games for the next three. Getting slower and lower as I approach my top 10. And that's because I really want to discuss these games in a little bit more detail than before. Granted, you know, they're not going to be 40-minute episodes like these ones, but certainly this is the the higher we get up the list, the more I just want to ball about these games and talk about them because I enjoy them that much. So that's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed the 40 games you've had so far. This was part two of my top 100. I'll see you in part three. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Board Games Insider or Four Corners of the Board. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. 